Thank you for listening to our midweek service from Christian Ministry Church. We're praying that this message blesses, encourages, and equips you to build the kingdom of God. Well, tonight, we'll be studying another name of the Lord. And uh, I think Paul and Tim gave me this one because they couldn't pronounce it. I'm just kidding. But it is a mouthful, and I may pronounce it wrong. <laughs> tonight, we're going to be talking about Jehovah Mekadeshkim or shortened Mekedesh. Mekedesh is a lot easier to say, but the full name is Mekedeshkim, meaning the Lord who sanctifies. The Lord who sanctifies. This is one of, and this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I love talking about sanctification. Sanctification is a huge part of the believer's salvation, but even as we get into this, I want you to see from the start, it says the Lord who sanctifies. I think oftentimes we try to take sanctification into our own hands and then we get frustrated when it doesn't work. It's the Lord who sanctifies us and we're gonna look at how he does that. This, this name of God is found two places in the Old Testament. The first place is Exodus 31, 13. It says, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. It's also found in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Leviticus 27 and 8, it says, You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I, the Lord your God, well, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So Jehovah Mekedeshkim, Mekedesh, Kedesh actually is found hundreds of times in scriptures. That word there, Kedesh, means to sanctify. So when we put on that mm, at the beginning of it, it is Jehovah, he's the one who sanctifies, but Kedesh is actually the Hebrew word for sanctify. And sanctify means to be set apart, to be set apart as sacred, to be set apart as holy, to consecrate, to purify, and even used several times as to be set free from sin. And as in, we see in this Exodus verse, it is, it is in context talking about how the Sabbath day is set apart, so we are supposed to be a people who are set apart. So our Sabbath day that we honor, that we make the Lord's day is, is Sunday where we come and we gather and we honor the Lord. But, but what God is trying to do as a, as in us as a people group is that we would be Sundays. We would be walking Sundays. That when people see it, it's like we are a people who have been sanctified and therefore we are, we are not walking around as slaves like the world. We're walking around in the rest of the victory that, that God has purchased for us, that he paid for with his blood on the cross. So we actually get to walk around free from many, what many people in the world, they walk around in bondage all the time. And so we get to, be, we get to walk around as, everybody looks forward to Sunday. We love Sunday because we, Sunday is the day that even the world often recognizes as the day off, the day that we take off, the day that people are off work. And so whether that's Saturday or Sunday or whenever they take off, everybody looks forward to that day because that's the day that I don't have to work. And that's what God wants us to be is people who are free from that mindset of having to work and earn and strive, not in a sense of providing for yourself financially, but in a sense of having life, having life. That'll preach. That's a good word, Josh. First Peter chapter one, sometimes you got to amen yourself. First Peter chapter one, verse 13 says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. 
put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, and he's quoting Leviticus here, you must be holy because I am holy. God has got an absolutely incredible life for us to live. He is our father. We are his children. Um, he, he wants us to live set apart and set free from slavery, just as he delivered the Israelites out of slavery. But he, he's, not just, he's not just setting us free from sin. He's not just setting us free from the slavery of the world. He's actually doing it for a purpose. And Jehovah Mekadeshkum, to them, he, he set them free to sanctify them, to set them apart to make them his children. He wanted a people that he could call his own, and it was a people that didn't look like the rest of the world. And it's like, well, well, that kind of seems unfair. It almost seems like God's trying to take something away from me. He's like, yeah, he's trying to take something away from you that kills you. He's trying to take something away from you that has enslaved you. He's trying to walk you into freedom, into the, because here's the deal. We've got to understand, like, it, we all believe that God created life. If he's the creator of life, he's the designer of life, he designed it to work a certain way. He designed it to work a certain way. And I think oftentimes Leviticus, I think, is actually statistically one of the least read books in the Bible. But Leviticus is important because it shows us God's heart. It shows us the way that God has called us to live. And it shows us the way that what the Holy Spirit wants to now write on the inside of a heart so that we now can walk out and live. Genesis, you had the beginning, and then you had the fall, and then Exodus, you have them getting set free from slavery, and then in Leviticus, God's like, okay, now that I've set you free, here's how I want you to live. And you, and you read the New Testament, and people are like, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, go read the Sermon on the, the Mount, because that, Jesus was telling people how to live. Read a lot, with just some of the stuff that we just read that Peter said, some of the stuff that Paul says, they're, they're teaching people how to live. This is the way to live that pleases God. This is the way to live that pleases God. And that only sounds like legalism to those who don't want to please God. It's not legalistic to tell people, the, for the Bible to tell people the way that they're supposed to live or for a leader to tell people the way, or for a pastor to tell people how to live or for your brother and sister to tell you how to live. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. We are telling, hey, this is how God has called us to live. And if you say that you're a believer, if you say that you're a Christian, then here are some things that you've got to walk away from. And here are some things that you get to walk into. Okay. <laughs> the, Israel's, the, the Israelites were brought out of slavery in, uh, in Egypt and they were being taken to the promised land. And, and that whole in between, between Egypt and the promised land, that is a type and shadow of our sanctification. Because when, when, when Jesus came on the scene and said, repent, he was talking, he kept using that Greek word, that metanoia, which means change the way that you think. Change the way that you think. Change the way that you're living. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the way that you're thinking about the world, the way that he, so Jesus is saying, stop thinking your way, the selfish way, the world's way, and think my way about life and begin living this way. And that takes a rewiring of your brain. That takes some time because oftentimes you come you come out of those things and like yeah like man it feels like really miserable for a while it's like yep yeah, because part of christianity is death part of christianity is death but guess what you're going towards Every, see everybody wants resurrection abundant life everybody wants blessings 
But if you want the blessings, if you want the resurrection, if you want the abundant life, it takes a death and a denial of your old selfish ways. And can, you know, many of us can attest to it's like, that didn't happen overnight. Jesus says you have to be born again. And so when you get born again into the kingdom, you start out as a baby that has to grow up. There's some growing pains that you've got to go through. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not like the necess- sanctification isn't like the funnest thing to walk through oftentimes. But guess where it's getting you to? The promised land. It's getting you to the promised land. Leviticus chapter 20 Verses 22 through 26 says, you must keep all my decrees and regulations by putting them into practice. Otherwise, the land to which I am bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. Again, think type and shadow here. We want to be believers, but we don't want to live the way that God says us to live. And he's going to say, well, you're not going to get to live in the promised land. It's key. And it did. And then you, you continue reading the Old Testament and the promised land vomited them out many times. They got taken into captivity a a few times, but it was because they refused to obey the Lord. Do not live according to the customs of the people I am driving out before you. I love that, live according to the customs. That reminds me of Romans 12. It is because they do shameful things that I detest. But I have promised you, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as your possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from all other people. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all people to be my very own. That's just the reoccurring thing that is said over and over and over and over again in Leviticus. And God, God knew the Israelites were going into, a, he wanted to take them into this land of blessing. He wanted to take them into a land that was going to be very, very, very fruitful. But in that, there's, there comes a lot of temptations. And I think oftentimes I see believers where they go through the cycle, where they go through sanctification, and they begin walking in the land of blessing, and they begin to take their eyes off of the one who brought the blessing. And they begin to stray. They begin to fall into temptation. They begin to be deceived. They begin to be taken captive because they start focusing on the blessing rather than the one who sent the blessing. The devil's devil's not a creator. All the devil does is pervert the things that God created. And so there are many things in life that are an absolute blessing, and all the devil can do is get us to worship the thing instead of the one who sent the thing. That's what happens. In this land, they go, and there's the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and all the ites are in the land, there were, and these were very, people get sewed up in arms about Joe Biden. It's like, Joe Biden didn't have nothing on some of these guys. That's a, <laughs> we're talking about some of the evil leaders in our world right now and in our nation. Some of these evil leaders in the world in our nation didn't have nothing on some of these Old Testament guys. They were really, really, really evil. And so God, not only was God bringing his people into a land that, where he wanted them to flourish, but he was also going to have them expel all of the evil people that were in the land. Which, again... Type and shadow of our spiritual life. We, you are not just saved so that you can go float down the river of milk and honey. God is actually, he's put you here for a purpose and for a reason. He put you here to, to, to make disciples, to take dominion of this world, to spread the gospel across the globe, to invite other people into this amazing, incredible journey that we get to go on, that we get to go on with him. It's a good word. It's purpose. <laughs> God knew that these people groups surrounding them thought differently, talked differently, lived differently, and it could become an easy 
uh, temptation for that. It would be easy to begin to copy the patterns and behaviors of these people that didn't follow God's way. God didn't want that. He's never wanted his people to get their standards from the world. And so while God is setting them apart to not be like these other people, you've got to know that we're still set apart. And in a word that's used over and over and over again in the New Testament is worldliness. We're not supposed to live like the world. And now oftentimes, just like the, the Israelites going into this land, you're going to be surrounded by people who live like the world. And so it's very easy that if we don't keep our focus on him, that we begin to get influenced by the world. And God is always in the process of sanctifying us. The world standards don't produce a joy-filled, peace-filled, abundant, blessed life that God has for us. In order to keep God's protection and provision, we are going to have to be a holy people, a people set apart, a people that allow Jehovah Makedesh to sanctify us. And sometimes something becoming sanctified is it's, it's set apart from the common, the ordinary, the regular things of life. It's special. It's unique. God wanted them to be special, unique, different than all those people. He was taking them into a land of blessing, but they would only prosper in that land of blessing if they did things his way. It wasn't to ruin their lives, not to ruin our lives, not to take our fun away. God calls us to be holy. He calls us not to love the world. And he isn't calling us into a life of boredom. He's not trying to take all of our fun away. It's quite the opposite, actually. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy and in his right hands, pleasures and gifts forevermore. We can't adopt a worldview outside of his standards and expect it to work well. It's not going to produce peace. It's not going to produce joy. We can't go against design and expect a better result. And, and, and God means this so much. And he doesn't, he doesn't just mean this in the Old Testament. He means this in the New Testament today. God means this so much that if we refuse to obey him, we refuse to walk in his ways, he goes so far to like remove us from the promised land. First Corinthians chapter five is a clear example of this. There's a man living in sin that refuses to repent and Paul tells the church in Corinth to turn him over to Satan. Man, there would be a Facebook post written about that. Turn him over to Satan. Why turn him over to Satan? Because when he is removed from the promised land, then he'll realize that he's missing out on the goodness and blessing of God. My goodness. And same thing happened to Israel over and over and over again. They didn't obey God. They got vomited out of the land. And then they were like, oh, wow, this doesn't really work. This is not working out for us. We're all dying. We're all killing each other. This is terrible. Lord, please come save us. And in his goodness... He did, which is awesome. And it, it's funny because in the Corinthian church, you go to, after 1 Corinthians, you go to 2 Corinthians and Paul's then rebuking the Corinthian church of like, the man repented, let him back in the assembly. Let him come back into the fold. So like, but that's incredible because it worked. I think oftentimes we're so worried about calling people out in their sin, even our close brothers and sisters in Christ, we're so worried about calling them out in sin because it might offend them. Right? And, and, and here's the deal. When you live that way, you don't really love them. You love you. Because you're worried about how it's going to reflect their relationship. It, 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 it's, it's, I've heard the term before. It's, it's unsanctified mercy. You're showing mercy that is not sanctified by God. It's not a godly mercy. It's a worldly mercy. You are letting people or, you, we, or we let someone live in a house that is burning down around them and not say anything. That's not what the body of Christ is called to do. 
When, when Paul is talking to the believers about how to live in the New Testament, he says, I'm not talking about people outside of the church. He's like, you, you would have to leave this world, right? So we're not going around just parroting or you know, trumpeting of like, you, you dirty sinners, turn or burn, all those kinds of things. But we're sharing the gospel, we're sharing the goodness and the love of God. But when we see our brother and sister that, we, that we're doing life with, that we sit next to in church and they're doing something in their business, in their marriage, with their kids or wherever, and we see they're, they're walking in something that doesn't line up with scripture, we have the responsibility to take them aside and, and judge them. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to call to judge each other. And listen, you as a believer, myself as a believer, we should invite that. Please tell me where I'm messing up. Please show me where I'm not getting it right. Please show me where I'm living in disobedience to God's word because I, I, I want to please him. I want to walk this out. That should be our attitude. And so I've got a few best friends in my life. I've got three or four guys where they, at any time, they can speak directly to me. Where I, I have told them, I've given them permission and you need to give friends in your life permission to say, hey, if you see something that's not lining up with scripture, I want you to tell me. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We want to be, God uses community, right? Because no man, we're not supposed to be an island. A man, uh, Proverbs 18 says that if a man who lives in isolation is destined for destruction. And so as we live in community, God uses, he uses the Holy Spirit and he uses the bride of Christ uses community to sharpen us, to make us look more like Jesus. Romans 8 says that you are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. And God surrounds believers with other community to point things out in them. It's from a place of love. It's not from a place of like, I'm better than you because I don't struggle with this. It's from a place of like, hey man, I've been seeing you. You said that you want, but I've been, you know, I saw you talk to your kid this way. I, you know, I saw something happened with your spouse there. You want to tell me about what's going on? You know, I heard that this was going on in your business. Do you want to tell me about that? You know, and, and where we sit down and gracefully dialogue about these things because we want to sharpen them and then say, Hey man, pour it back on me. Is there anything in my life? The Lord wants to use us. He wants to use each other to sanctify us. And <clears throat> one thing, as we talked about sanctification here too, I want you to know I think sometimes we beat ourselves up from things that we were forgiven of 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Well, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the here and now. Your past has been forgiven, but if there's something in your present, let's deal with it. Let's repent, let's move on. And, and understand, God didn't make you to live in sin. He didn't make you to live in sin. God's grace is not so that you can get away with sin. God's grace is meant to empower you to overcome sin. Jesus' blood is freedom from sin. And, and, and it, it, for people who think that they're just, they're just gonna have to struggle with sin for the rest of their life until they hit that sweet by and by and go to heaven, like death is your savior then. Death is what's saving you from sin, not Jesus. Jesus is the one, he has saved us from sin. We've gotta know that just because we're forgiven, just because we're covered by the blood, just because that, that Colossians says that I'm holy, I'm faultless, I'm blameless, uh, Romans 5 would say that I'm justified. I've been justified. I've been made right. Now a sanctification process takes place though. But just because I'm justified doesn't mean that I then get to just live however I want to because God sees me as holy and blameless. God never, ever, ever, ever approves of sin. Never approves of it. And he also, he also 
is so good because he doesn't say, get your act cleaned up and then come talk to me. That's not what he says. He says, come talk to me. Let me help you work out of this. Let me, let me empower you to overcome this because you can't do it on your own. That's how good and how awesome and how kind he is. But you need to know tonight, you are never stuck to a lifestyle of sin. To say you were born this way and that you can't get out of it is an absolute rebuttal to the purpose for the blood of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't believe that the death of Jesus was in vain. I don't believe it was in vain. You cannot dismiss the cross because of your inability to get out of sin. He gets you out. You don't just do the best you can. And listen, God isn't just trying to wean you off of sin. He's not just trying to wean you off of sin. Now, when, you, when the Israelites left Egypt, guess what chased them? Egypt. When you walk away from, guess what's going to chase you? Okay, right? But you keep moving towards him, and he will drown that sucker. But you've got to keep moving towards him because he has set you free. You don't, he doesn't want you to just, he didn't want the Israelites to just kind of like leave Egypt and go back for a while and leave Egypt and go back for a while and leave Egypt and go back for a while. That's not what freedom is. That's not what, the, he's not trying to win you off. And I'm going to use an extreme example, but I don't, you don't tell somebody who is a thief, like, okay, just rob from one person today, yeah. right? You, know, you robbed 10 people last week and one this week, like good for you. It's like, no, like that's not the way that it works. That's not that's not freedom. That's not what Christ paid for. He paid for us to be completely free. <laughs> we actually dishonor the Lord by saying that we are stuck in a lifestyle of sin. So we've got to pursue him. He wants to sanctify us. He wants, let's, so let's talk about how we can walk in this, how we can be sanctified. Romans 12 says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the Lord, the God of peace himself, sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Back up a couple chapters, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12 says, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. When you go into chapter four, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already. We encourage you to do so even more for you remember what was taught to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans do who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. So it's like still, like it's, that's not Old Testament, like still today, God's justice and righteousness still come through. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So when, when the word is being preached, when someone comes to you about something that they see as sinful in your life and you reject that, understand you're not rejecting them, you're rejecting God's word. 
When someone brings God's word to you and says, hey, here is something that I see in your life that I want to be, that, that, you know, that we need to get right. If you reject them, you're rejecting God's word is what Paul says here. Now, obviously, clearly God is after our hearts. He transforms us from the inside out. He transforms us in our body, in our, in our hearts, and then our bodies, our minds, our daily activity, all those things follow. If the heart changes, our actions will change. Many times, and this is what the spirit of religion does oftentimes, is we want to get the outside looking good so that we look good in front of other people. But that, that makes us like Pharisees who Jesus called whitewashed tombs. You look good, but the inside you're full of death. The inside you're full of sin. But if the inside gets cleaned, if the inside of the cup gets cleaned, the outside is also made clean. The problem, I'll give you an easy example here. The problem with a thief is not his hand. My hand doesn't make me steal things from people. If it did, that's why Jesus said, cut it off. But your hand doesn't have a mind of its own. So you can arrest a thief. You can have a thief walk through a 12-step program. You can have a thief go through a teen challenge program. I'm for all those things. But if the thief's heart is not changed, when he gets out of that, guess what he becomes again? A thief. His heart has to change. Then, and when an inward transformation takes place, then his desires, his thoughts, his worldview will be completely changed. And we don't, we don't get sanctified by trying harder. Like, I'm going to try really hard not to sin. I'm going to try really hard. We don't, get, we don't get sanctified by repeating a prayer. We get sanctified through putting our faith in Jesus, through cultivating a relationship with God. He is the one who sanctifies. He is the one who makes us holy. So again, I don't want you to see this as like, I'm gonna white knuckle the steering wheel and I'm really gonna overcome because you're gonna fail. You don't, you don't overcome, I'll say it this way. You don't overcome sin by saying no to sin and that's it. You overcome sin by in your saying no to, to sin, you're saying yes to him. My yes to him makes all my no's for me. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, run away from your youthful lust, pursue righteousness. So there's this direction that he's talking about as I'm leaving Egypt, I'm running through the wilderness and I'm headed towards the promised land. So I'm running away from sin. I'm running away from the thing that so easily entangles me, what Hebrews said, and I'm running towards him. I'm not running aimlessly. I'm headed towards Jesus. I'm cultivating this relationship with him. And as I cultivate that, as I'm running towards him, as I'm reading my word, as I'm praying, as I'm in church, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me. And he's making my desires, or his desires become my desires and his thoughts become my thoughts. This is, I know this is like, obviously like, duh, like I get, you know, we get it, but this is so, so, so important. We have been, we, but we have got to see ourselves first as that God has, he has, I, I like to say it this way. Um, this is just, this is some, just some simple doctrine. Salvation is like threefold. You, you have been saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. You have been justified, you're being justified, you're gonna be justified. You have been sanctified. You're being sanctified, and you will be sanctified. You will be glorified one day. Okay, so we're, it's, it's this process. So we are washed clean. And I think real, genuine sanctification takes place. That being sanctified process begins to take place when you get the revelation that you have been justified, that you have been set free, 
that you have been given the righteousness of Christ. Because I said it in the beginning, in Proverbs it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so many people struggle with issues their entire life. They struggle with sin their entire life because they see themselves as just sinners saved by grace. That land for a minute. Because you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner and you were saved by grace. But guess what now the way that God sees you? He doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace. He sees you as son. He sees you as daughter. He sees you as holy priest. But oftentimes we look at ourselves as like we are just, for lack of a better word, may gross you out. A lot of times I think we see ourselves as just like a turd that got Lysol sprayed on it. And if you see yourself that way, guess what behavior is going to follow? See, the issue is as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so if you think you're a dirty, rotten piece of garbage that's just because of all these things that I've done, I'm just going to get my head kicked in all the way to, one day when I get to heaven, I can overcome all these things. Like, no, 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 no. You got to get that revelation of righteousness. Isaiah says that your righteousness is like filthy rags, which is grosser than the example I used before, so we won't go into that. Isaiah says that your righteousness is like filthy rags. But no longer is your righteousness like filthy rags. Before Christ it was, when you were trying to be made right on your own. But now, you have the righteousness of Christ. So your righteous works are no longer like filthy rags, they're like the righteousness of Jesus. <laughs> Romans 5.1 says that we have been imputed with the very righteousness of Jesus. Verse 9, he says that we've been justified, we've been declared innocent. I'm a saint, I'm a royal priest, I'm a holy generation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. When, you, when that hits you, then you can really understand when Proverbs, when it says, though the righteous man falleth seven times, he always rises again. Because I get back up, because I realize that's not me anymore. That's not who I am. An issue, I'll say this, issue is always an, your issues are always an issue of your identity and the way that you see yourself. You have to understand the way that God sees you and you have to come into agreement with that. You have to come into agreement with that. Colossians talks about, Paul says, you have been told the truth about, you've been told the truth about Christ, about what he's done, about that he's made you holy and blameless and flawless. And he's, the first thing Paul says after that is, now stand firm in that truth. Stand firm in that truth, and then he lists, don't do all these things. But it starts with, you've got to stand firm in the truth of how God sees you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. We're never going to live a holy life that's pleasing to God until we begin to believe that he really has sanctified us. Until you really believe that he calls you blameless, he calls you not guilty, that's the gospel. We've been seated in righteousness. Did you know that five out of six people that are arrested get arrested within nine years of their release for the exact same crime, for doing the same thing? 70, over 70 people in jail right now are there for are there their second time or third time or fourth time, however, for committing the same crime over and over again. It's because fear of judgment doesn't change anybody. 
Fear of judgment doesn't change anybody. We have to be rewired to innocence to become pure. The reason that we keep sinning is because we, oftentimes we still feel guilty about the last time. We believe the lie of shame. We believe that the blood of Christ can't cover my sin again. And so we just go back into the same thing over and over and over again. And I'll say the spirit of religion oftentimes says that you're not changing because you don't feel guilty enough or you don't feel the weight of her. You don't really know how bad you are. I know how bad I am. We all know how bad we are. But knowing how bad I am is not what changed me. What changed me is when I saw how good he was. In spite of my badness, when I saw how good he was, that's what really changed me. When you restore innocence, then good behavior will follow. That's being born again. Religion thinks that transformation comes by staring at how bad you are, but the only way to get real transformation and real freedom is by seeing how good he is. How good he is. Religion tries to pull you out of sin by showing you how bad you are. We know how bad we are, how ugly we are, how shameful we are. Religion tries to make us feel more shameful and more guilty thinking that will change you. But it's actually, it has the opposite effect. It causes us to run back to our filth. Our shame and guilt make us feel like God is mad at us so we can't approach him until I appease him with my good efforts. Until I try really hard and I don't do it again for two months and maybe he's not mad at me anymore. No, God wants to show you how good he is. He wants to show you Jesus. The Bible does not say, God, for God so hated the world that he murdered his son. It says he so loved the world that he gave his son. Romans 2 says it's the goodness of God that leadeth to repentance. So what really empowers us to walk in repentance, to be the holy priesthood, is that, is that, uh, is that he is calling us to not see how bad we are, but to see how good he is. The Spirit, so the Holy Spirit draws us, draws our hearts by his goodness. And if you don't believe me, just read the prodigal son story. My goodness. Jesus was saying, this is how your father feels about you. He wants you to run home. He wants you to run to him every single time. Run to him. Run to him. He sanctified me. He calls me son. Simply put, sanctification is the process by which God sets us apart from sin. But I want you to know sanctification is not learning how to manage sin cycles. It's learning how to walk in freedom. Sanctification is not learning how to manage sin cycles. It's learning how to walk in freedom. It's not learning how to struggle your way through life. It's becoming free from the struggle. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where's the spirit of the Lord? In you, in me. There's freedom. I teach apologetics classes at our uh, high school and our internship at Leaders Academy, apologetics classes. And apologetics are awesome. I love apologetics. I've, I nerd out on that kind of stuff. I could read about it and watch videos on it and study it and teach it all day long. I love it. But apologetics didn't save me. Apologetics didn't save me. Apologetics, they can be a real faith builder. It's very, very interesting, but, but the gospel is not like a scientific method. It's not even, a, the history of Christianity is absolutely incredible and very, very, very provable, but the gospel like really is experiential because the gospel is this, friend. 
that I now, I was a slave and now I'm free. I was addicted to pornography and now I'm free. You were addicted to crack and now you're free. Your marriage was in shambles and now it's absolutely incredible. You can't even believe how awesome it is. That's the gospel. The gospel was is that you were dead and now you are alive. That's the gospel. That I was losing my mind with anxiety and now I have unexplainable peace. That you were sick and you are now healed. That you were dead and you are now alive. Come on. This is how the God, Jehovah Mekadeshkem, sanctifies you. This is, this is the definition. This is how sanctification takes, ple- takes place. Is that you sit at his feet until he burns all of that out of you with his goodness by you staring at him and him telling you who he is and who you are and who he's called you to be. That's how sanctification takes place. You are sanctified by sitting in his presence. That's why I talk about over and all the time, abide, 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 remain, 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 remain in him, steward the fire in the secret place. Don't just be a Sunday morning only Christian. That's why I talked about this Sunday. It's like you don't just be intentional on Sunday, you be intentional on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You have access to the presence of God 24-7. Come on, that's how he sanctifies you. When you live in his presence, you don't just visit him on Sunday. That's how, the, that's how he sanctifies you. And in his presence, he ruins you for everything else. When you live in his presence, you find out he's better than pornography. He's better than sex. He's better than alcohol. He's better than drugs. He's better than adultery. He's better than money. He's better than fame. He's better than everything. But you only get that by sitting in his presence. Matthew 6 says, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. If your, eye, if your eye is the window to the soul, if your eye is single, your whole body, what does he mean by that? He means you better have a singular focus on me because John 1 says that he is the light and his light is the life of all men and his light shines through the darkness into the darkness and overcomes it. So when my eye is single and focused on him, his light is shining into me and driving out the darkness. And any time I blow it, any time I sin, is always because I have taken my eyes off the light and I have put it on other things. That's why Paul says, take heed therefore lest you fall. Get your eyes up. Put your eyes on him because he is the one who can sanctify you. He is Jehovah Mekedesh. I've got so much I could talk about. I believe that God really, really set me free and brought me out so that I can enjoy freedom, that I'm really saved, that I'm really free. I believe that we have, that scripture, I keep saying I believe, scripture teaches this. Scripture teaches that you can be happy and healthy and blessed. Happy, healthy, and blessed. Not that all your dreams are gonna come true. Not that you're gonna drive the nicest car in town and have the biggest house on the block. None of that, but you can be happy, healthy, and bless, not th- I sprained my ankle the other night trying to play with, Nathan had all these college guys there and I came out and played with, sprained my ankle. <laughs> God doesn't want me to be healthy. No, like I'm the dummy that's 34 that's trying to play with 18 year olds, thinking my body can still do what it could a few years ago and it just, it can't. My mind says that it can and then it can't. It's like, oh, I thought God, no, he does care about you. Your heart and your mind and your body, they can be healthy. You can be happy despite your circumstances. 
despite the storm going on around you. Come on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't come out of that fire going, oh my gosh, that fire was so hot, it was so bad. Come on, man. Come on. They didn't even, have, they didn't even smell like smoke. Come on. Religion tries to make us believe oftentimes that God saved you for you to go to heaven someday. And heaven's going to be great. But God isn't saving all the good stuff for when you're dead and gone. He didn't save you so that you could get your brain kicked in for the next 60 years. If you don't, if you'll see this right. If you, and, and here's what ruins a lot of people's lives. They don't see their past right. They don't see that they have been justified. And so it, it makes their future really, really, really hard. Think about the Apostle Paul. I'm wrapping, I'm closing. But you think about the Apostle Paul. Can you find the shame and the guilt in the Apostle Paul's story? Nope. And he oversaw the stoning of Stephen and was on his way to persecute, possibly murder Christians. And you don't find the shame in his story. Why? Because he had been sanctified. He really believed that he was so transformed by that encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road that he never let his past impede his future. The Lord sanctifies us. He calls us beloved. He calls us righteous. He declares we're, inno we're innocent. He is the one who sanctifies. Not my good works. That any man should boast, it's by him. And I want everybody in this room to know that God loves you 100% right now. He doesn't love some future better version of you. He loves you 100% right now. Listen, Sunday morning was awesome. Sunday morning was like, I'm still getting over Sunday morning. Like it was crazy. There were people coming to the altar while I was still preaching. Like it was wild. Do you know that God didn't love me anymore after I got off the stage? He's not gonna love me anymore tonight. I could preach the most incredible, amazing sermon. You can see millions and millions of people get saved in my life. I could see all that, but God would not love me any more than he does right now. He loves you 100% all the time. And if I go home and yell at my kids and blow it and stub my toe and say a bad word, he will still love me 100%. Wow. Does that mean that I get to continue on and saying the dirty words? Of course not. When I put my eyes back on him, he sanctifies me and he convicts me. Don't, don't confuse conviction with condemnation. When, when Jesus comes and begins to put his hands on some things in your heart, don't beat yourself up. Because he's coming and he's putting his hands on those things, but he's saying, I've got something better for you. There's more in the house. There's more in my presence. Come home. Conviction of sin is part of this process. God puts his hand on something. He wants us to turn it over to him. He, discipl he disciplines us because he loves us. Because our sin hinders our relationship with him. It's not because he's mad or angry. It's because he wants to give us more of him self. He wants to give us more of himself. Sin, this is where sin is the most dangerous, is because sin hinders our relationship with him. And the, that's the consequence of our sin between us and him. It hinders that relationship. When you ask for forgiveness, you are made right. You're made completely right. You're forgiven. Now, sin obviously also causes consequences in our own life. And I, I just want to give you an easy example. If I, if, it, if I got found out that I was living in sin and I got removed from my leadership position, that doesn't mean that God loves me less. 
The reason I would get removed and I would have to walk in those consequences is because God is sanctifying me and making sure that, I'm, that my eye becomes single again. It's like, oh my gosh, well, like, you know, I was on the worship team and I did something and I got asked to step off. Like, they don't love me. God, no, it's because we do love you. It's like you got removed from whatever. It's because God loves you and he's trying to get you to focus on him and shore up this relationship before those blessings begin to come back again. Does that make sense? Okay. He is Jehovah Mekadeshkim. He is the God who sanctifies. He is the God who sets free. He is the God who makes us holy. That's who he is. Don't get some of this. All right, y'all stand with me. Lord, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have justified us and that you sanctify us. That 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 sanctification isn't something you do, God. It's it's something that you are. You have sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence on the inside of us so that we can live a sanctified life. So that we are always progressing towards you, God. Lord, I, I ask that the revelation of righteousness would hit all of our hearts, that we would see ourselves the way that you see us. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Help us to believe that. May that click in our minds, God. Help us to be singularly focused on you, that we would have a single eye on you and that your light would continue to just flood in so that we could overflow with light, so that we could become the light of the world, the city set upon a hill, Lord. God, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.